Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. It is so very awesome when someone you know takes a leap and does something new, and that new thing turns out to be great and wonderful. That is the story of my next guest. He is a lawyer by trade. He said, I want to write a novel. He wrote a great novel. It is called Yoga, A Love Story. He is my friend. He is like family to me. Welcome, Douglas Davis. Congratulations on this wonderful book. And thank you so much for coming here to talk about it with me. Well, thank you for having me. It's really exciting to just sit down and talk with you um, about the book and just, you know, anything that you want to shoot the breeze about. Talk to me about this book, Yoga, A Love Story, a really powerful story, powerful characters. Give my audience a sense of what your book is about, and then I want to talk about why you took on this story. Sure. Uh, I would describe my book as uh, a great adventure. Um, You know, the title goes both ways because it's Yoga, A Love Story, and uh, I've always been interested in all types of religions. And... uh, Yoga literally means yoke with God or union with God. And to balance the title with a love story shows I I wanted to just bring everything into it. And uh, that's what happens. In this book, my character takes a great adventure from a small town in Indiana, uh, an Indian-American, and he ends up in India and doing all kinds of crazy, mystical, magical things. This is a novel. It's narrative fiction. And you've taken on something that's really outside of your experience. So talk to us about it. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I grew up an Air Force brat. We traveled with my father around the world. And one of the things that we learned is to always be comfortable outside of your normal experience. And it was a Mm. great, great lesson. So that wherever we went in the world, we knew we had to find our comfort zone. And that's kind of what this novel is about. Wow. I don't want to let that slip. Wherever you are, you've got to basically find your comfort zone and find a way to be easy in the place that you that you're in, uh, regardless of who you are. How do how does your protagonist live that story? Well, I think at first, like a lot of people. Tell us about him. Like, tell us a little bit about him and his lineage. I know the story, but I want people to hear it from you. Sure. My main character's name is John Yogacara Asanga. He comes from a strong religious family. And like a lot of people in this day and age, he didn't realize it. His uh, father was like a second or third generation, uh, a very, very strong religious person who had a great many powers. But growing up in the world, he went away from that and just focused on science and never even taught his son how powerful he was. And I think in this day and age with the modern society, I think it happens a lot. We run from that. So this character didn't know who he was, was searching for love. And when he finally found his oneness, his yoga with God, the whole world opened up before him. Where does he go? Like, what will people learn from this journey that he takes? Well, they will learn that, first of all, the happiness comes from within And that all of us, we end up searching everywhere for what's right in front of us. Uh, And his journey starts off in a small town called Kokomo, Indiana. And he goes from there to Chicago. And like a lot of people, he gets wrapped up into the the glitter of the big city. Gets into trouble because he's hanging out with the wrong people. And as a matter of fact, ends up in jail. 
And he has to make a decision with his life. Does he want to keep on this path or find something else? He goes within, finds his spirituality, and he realizes, you know, he'll testify against the people he worked with, but he realizes that he'll never be safe in the United States. They will find him. So he does witness protection in India, a place he's never been, but his family is from there. And a whole new world opens up before him. And he realizes, basically, uh, quoting uh, T.S. Eliot, that, you know, when we return home after all of our journeys, we find that basically it's the same place it was when we began. But we just see it differently because of all of our experiences. What do you want people to take away? So when people read this book, what do you want them to learn or to get or to feel and experience? Uh, I want them to learn that we are all one, you know, one being, I believe. We're all connected and everyone uh, gets wrapped up in their tribal identity. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, to be proud of where you came from, but understand uh, that at the end of the day, it's all one spirit. It's all one love. And, and the universe is always reminding us that and telling us that. And when we open up and listen, an amazing world can unfold before you. No matter, you can grow up poor, you can grow up, uh, you know, in a no-win situation, but once you really, really find that connection, you'll see the world differently. How did you find, I mean, you know, you talked a little bit about your background. It's, it's kind of unfair. Friends, Douglas is a good friend of mine and, and his wife is one of my sisters. So if we speak in a shorthand, <laughs> uh, please forgive me. But I know a lot about you, Douglas, and uh, your life and who you are. But what I think is so interesting is how you were able to so completely absorb and dig into an experience that's outside of the life and norm that you were born in. You know, you said you, you grew up as an Air Force brat. What's your advice to young people, especially uh, young Black men? about how they can see the world bigger than themselves. Because, you know, look, that's a constituency. There are many constituencies that fall into this category, but we're talking about this one right now. Sure. That's a constituency that's often pigeonholed and told who they are, who they aren't, what they can be, what the expectations are, drowning in other people's presumptions about them. What do you say to young men who look like you? You grew up in uh, Chicago, at least in part. You are uh, a Chicago native. What do you tell the young men about how to see the world in a way that's bigger than the way the world may see them? Well, number one, I always start with reading. And the whole world can open up to you once you start reading all types of different novelists. Uh, I remember as a child reading, of course, James Baldwin, who who saw the world differently, traveled the world, and, but he always he was still basically an African American, and he was proud of that. But he gave us his lens that was much broader. And I think when we read, we see so many similarities, you know, between us and other people. One of my favorite um, essays was in um, the. Uh, uh, I think it was The Invisible Man. No, Native Son, the book Native Son, mm. which wasn't written by James Baldwin. But his essay in the beginning of it was perhaps, to me, better than the book because he gave notes on Bigger Thomas. And in those notes, he said, you find Bigger Thomas everywhere. You find him in Cuba. You find him in Russia. You find him all over the world. 
he's that person who doesn't fit in. And we all say, what happened to that crazy guy? Unfortunately, a lot of them, you know, have a bad ending because they don't fit in. But many of them who challenge the system and challenge themselves can really, really flourish. And it's tough, especially getting back to African-American men. When they try to challenge the system, more often than not, it doesn't end well for them, which is really frustrating because they don't have that freedom. But we just have to keep pushing. We just have to keep better. And by reading varied things from all over the world, we'll start to understand that we're not very dissimilar. And we can overcome, you know, once we understand the basic nature of of human beings. And what's interesting, Douglas, is that I think that, you know, even though I took great pains to say we're talking about this uh, particular demographic now, young African-American men, but that advice really applies to everyone. I mean, there are bigger Thomases, uh, as you point out, James Baldwin pointed out in the preface to the novel, there are bigger Thomases everywhere. Um, People who are trying to find their place at the table uh, and be comfortable in an environment that perhaps they didn't grow up in. Who are your favorite writers? Who are your literary influences? I'm guessing James Baldwin and I'm guessing Ralph Ellison, since you mentioned James Baldwin. (laughs) So, yeah. So, whoa, I'm so, that was not a big leap. (laughs) I don't get, I don't get, I don't get brownie points for that. Uh, Tell us some others. Who are the writers that you love? And what's really funny is my Twitter handle is uh, Ellison James, which is clearly, (laughs) but, uh, but yes, of course, Baldwin and Ellison. Um, But I'm kind of a nerd. I go back to Alexander Pope. I start with him, whose essays on criticism, I think it was written, I checked my notes in 1711 still one of the most famous essays ever written. People quote from it all the time. They quote, for example, um, to err is human, to forgive is divine. And there's another quote about uh, um, we tread where uh, angels you know, fear. And I'm paraphrasing that one. But the quote I took from that from, I think, sophomore year of high school, it never left me, was he talked about how to write lyrical poetry. And the line was, he said, uh, it's not enough, nor harshness gives offense. The sound must seem to echo the sense. And if you look at anything, any music, any poetry, any good writing, it comes down to that. Does it sound like what it means? And that's what he told us in 1711. To be a good poet, to be a good artist, that's where you go. Gosh, and that's so true. But it really, I mean, that's advice that holds true 100%, like when I think about it. How long did it take you to write this book? Um, I find writing difficult. And when I say difficult, it's not the getting the words out. Like when it hits you, you're in the zone and it feels amazing. But in my experience, and I didn't do anything as ambitious as trying to write a novel. I wrote a little book about something that was very much in my wheelhouse, which is the law and court and how people get ready. I'll write another book, but I will not give short shrift to the discipline and rigor that it takes, even if you know it, even if it's something that's in your wheelhouse, even if it's in your heart as uh, yoga, a love story, uh, your great book certainly was for you. It's work. Talk to us about your discipline and your process as a writer. I agree. It is work. And 
Uh, I started off, I went to undergrad as an English literature major. And, you know, most English lit, you know, majors, you know, uh, intend to write the great American novel. Well, it's very hard, very hard. So I knew it's like, I'm not even going to waste my time trying because to have that kind of sustained thought is really, it's almost impossible. Um, I was fortunate enough to take some writing seminars just to help open me. And we focused on short stories. So originally, this was meant to be a short story. And I give thanks to my wife because whenever I would finish a chapter, she'd say, oh, it's not done. Keep writing. Um, and after a while, the characters just took over and they had a life of their own. They told me they weren't done. They had more to say. And, you know, characters would come to me and say, oh, you haven't told my story yet. Add me to the, to the work. And it's really a blessing, you know, to be able to open yourself, open yourself and hear that. And for me, it was, it was difficult to do it, but I found good times to write. There's um, in Hindu, there's a time called, I think it's uh, Brahma Ventura. I'm not sure about the last part of the phrase, but it's about um, an hour and 45 minutes before sunrise. And it stops about a half an hour before the sun actually rises. And for the Hindus, that's the holiest time of the day. And when I was stuck, I would get up and I would write during that time period. And it's amazing. The words come like butter. And that, you know, it's a really, really powerful time. An hour before sunrise until you said an hour after or half an well, hour Well, it's after. weird. I think it's like an hour and a half before sunrise. And it stops about 30 minutes, which is kind of a convoluted you know, way of describing a certain period. Um, but it, it would work. I would time it. And for example, if the sun rises about 645, I would get up at 520, set my alarm uh, and start writing. And before I knew it, the sun was rising and I had a good thousand, 2000 words just flowing out of me. So basically you're telling me if I get up much earlier, my brain is going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be way smarter and much more productive, Douglas. Neither you nor your brilliant wife, we can't let that slip, by the way, because you would give her chapters and she's like, you're not done. Yes. That's what happens when you marry another lawyer. Exactly. Hi, Alexis. Um, but that's really fascinating. Did you carve out this time every day? Like, was this your, did, did you take days off? I mean, I, part of the reason I'm asking this is that so many people, I think, have in themselves a novel or a short story or something. And I think what's important to remind people of is that you have it in you and you should do it. But in order to get it out, there really is, it helps to have a process. Like yes. for me, it helped to have a process. My process was not quite that early. Like my process would run late into the night. My husband made popcorn because sometimes I'm like, if I'm really working, I really don't want to eat anything that's going to require me to stop. Sure. So he can make some popcorn and I can stay up really late. You know, everybody has, uh, everybody has their process. So was that a part of your process for you? Like every day, was it this early morning ritual? And how did you take days off? And what did you do when you got really stuck? Well, I would use uh, the early mornings when I was really stuck. You know, I, I didn't do it all the time because, uh, you know, especially if you have a job and you're getting up at, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock, you're pretty much ruined for the rest of the day. It throws you off. So I couldn't do it every day. Um, 
normally I would write, and this is corny too, going back to Shakespeare um, or even before him, but they always talk about doing an invocation to the muse. And I would literally do that, do a little prayer, a little meditation saying, please come to me and let me write. And I would write as long as I felt I was a vehicle. But as soon as I felt like, you know, now you're just writing words because you want to fill the page, I would stop. It's like, okay, it's not flowing through me anymore, but feel the flow. And we all have it. For example, sports, and we call uh, like Michael Jordan would be unconscious. You know, or LeBron, they scored like 30 points in a row. They're literally unconscious. They're feeling that flow. And we all have it. We, we It ebbs and it flows. So write as long as you're getting that flow. As soon as you feel it's not there anymore, stop. It's okay. I don't care if you just wrote one paragraph. It could be a beautiful paragraph. You know, then the next day you might have more of a flow. You might write two pages. That's what I would do. And it, it took about 18 months to really get this thing going. And then after that, I had a great, great editor. And uh, we fought because, I mean, she just eliminated entire chapters, which I couldn't understand. But she was right. So it's you, you have to be devoted to the process and want to do it. Uh, to get through all of it. What's your advice? I mean, you've given some uh, really good advice just then to first-time writers, new writers, people who uh, may be doctors, lawyers, like people who've had other careers, engineers, and they're like, you know what? I want to tell this story. What's your advice to them, Douglas? How do they get started? Well, I would, I would give them advice that was given to me by a wonderful uh, writer and teacher. Her name is Pamela Painter. And she's still a professor at Emerson College in uh, Massachusetts. And when I took her seminar, the first thing she said was, a good writer should have a faulty memory. And she made us write 100-word stories about things that happened to us in our lives. But she told us, I don't want it to be a perfect memory. I want it to be a sketchy memory. Start there and then move on. And that's how you write good fiction. You can't make everything up you know, when you're doing fiction to make it work. So if you know how someone walks, include that. When you talk about how this person walked down the street, because that's how people really do it. And the fiction will come because the fiction is the fun. The fiction is a story. But start with your faulty memory of what your favorite uncle used to do, you know, what your what your mother did, you know, how the how the, the bread smelled in the kitchen on Thanksgiving Day. That's valuable. So it's not out of your reach because we all have those memories. Start with that. And then your story will take it on its own life and then be open to let the characters tell you their story. Don't try, you know, I had a story arc for yoga. It was a much shorter arc. My guy was Indian American and, you know, he was searching for love and he lost his first love is, you know, because he wasn't religious. So the story arc was he would find his religion. He would meet his first girl from when he was 14 and they would get together, end of story. That never happened. Never happened. The story, the, the guy, the, the character told me, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to India. I'm going to experience all these things. And he did. And, and the universe will help you. I mean, I wrote uh, about a, a wild boar chase in the story uh, in the morning and when, we, when Alexis and I were in Tuscany. That afternoon, we had dinner at, or lunch at an amazing restaurant. And what did they serve? the best wild boar I've ever tasted. So the universe will tell you, you're on track, and, and here's what it is. So we, you know, start writing, have a faulty memory, have fun with it, and be open to let the universe tell you where to go. Start writing, have a faulty memory, 
which means forget stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and let the universe guide you. And as you said, as you're writing this book, your characters took different directions. They had different relationships. They, once you put them on the page, I think what you're saying, Douglas, yes. they kind of move themselves. So your advice to folks is just get started. Yes. A hundred words, tell a story about yourself in a hundred words and let it not be perfect. Exactly. Have a faulty memory. I might do that. I think I actually might, I might try my hand at that myself, my friend. And you'll be surprised. It, it's fun. Before we go, you've done so many great things. You are such a great man and you're such a great husband, father, friend, community leader, philanthropist. So much, Douglas. What's next? Is there another book in you? Is there another set of short stories? Is there poetry? What's your next big thing? Um, well, I'm working on my second book now. And this one is going to be really interesting. It's more about... Uh, uh, actually space and interplanetary travel uh, and also dealing with the environment. You know, I think it's going to be, it's really fun. I'm halfway through and I want to make a statement about how we need to respect the environment and respect the universe. And so that should be a lot of fun. Um, so we're working on that and more philanthropic things. We really want to help the world evolve. That's, that's what I want to do in any way, shape or form we, uh, we can. I know you and, uh, your wife, my great friend Alexis, have a great passion for education um, and educating communities, educating young black people around the world and other disadvantaged and disadvantaged people around the world. Talk to us a little bit about Mainsprings, if you would. Tell us about this great endeavor in which the two of you are involved. It, it's really fantastic. Alexis was invited to sit on the board from some of her friends, and they, uh, they educate young African girls help them to become women in a place where the founder, he went there, I think, years ago, and he really loved it. And he saw these schools and said, well, where are the girls? And they told him, well, no, the girls, they're not educated in Africa. And it just bothered him so much that he started this school. And it's truly amazing to see these young ladies learn and gain confidence and are ready to go out there in the world. Because in this new century, my hope is that women are much more involved, that we listen to our women. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw the, uh, the Woman King movie, which was simply amazing, amazing story. Uh, we need more of that. We need leadership. It's a shame that we haven't had a woman president of the United States just yet. I'm hoping it's you, Tanya. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to do that. I got to get this podcast going, Douglas. Let's try to do my podcast and my TV show. <laughs> It's a lot of pressure. I can't do that. I got some jobs. <laughs> There's going to be somebody. There's somebody coming. But, but what they're doing in, in, in places like you know the, uh, the Mainspring is they're really, really helping these women grow up and understand that they have value and they can add to the world. And it's so exciting. We're, we're going in February. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a wonderful experience. I'm so glad that the two of you are doing that. Thank you for this incredible work that you both do. I think that it's really going to set like such an example and inspire people because you did something that so many want to do and you did it well, brother. You did it well. So 
God bless you for doing it and for sharing your story and for providing so much inspiration to people who want to do the same thing. Yoga, a love story. My friend, an author, Douglas Davis, read his book and check out this incredible organization. Mainsprings. We're going to put the information up so you can learn more about uh, a lot of his philanthropic work, work too. Well, thank you, Tanya. Thank you, friend, for being here. Thank you for having me.